Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, we got another water cooler topic out there. I mean, that's all there is to it. Do we still have water cooler topics anymore, by the way, with nobody working Oh, thank you, Hudson. Is it licorice? Well done. There we go. Somebody just made a little uh, deposit for me, courtesy of uh, Pete's Drive-In. So that's that's got me excited. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you, 1236 in Edmonton. If you've not heard, uh, CBC reporting that the federal government is looking at uh, lightening the quarantine period from 14 to 7 days for, uh, theoretically, players move from American teams to NHL teams uh, with addition, additional testing uh, in place. Now, we should mention that the players already are getting tested every day. I don't know how many other industries are currently doing that right now, but uh, for what it's worth, and I, and I, you know what, I could imagine that tomorrow when uh, I, I think Daryl McIntyre is on tomorrow from uh, 9 to, to 12 here locally at Edmonton. Uh, they've had uh, Shea Ganim and uh, Daryl uh, both locally over the course of the last week. One of those two will be in the house, and I'm going to hazard a guess that might be a conversation point sometime uh, somewhere uh, during the course of that show. It probably is going to be on our show as well. We will tell you. That guest on the show receives gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Uh, and again, you can text us on our Ashley Fine Floors text line at 780-496-0063. As we go to our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. And we welcome back to the show... From NHL Hockey on Rogers, uh, the primary uh, television analyst of Edmonton Oilers broadcast this year, Louis DeBrusque. Louis, how you doing? I'm doing well, Bob. I think I just heard you say something about licorice. Did Hudson bring you some licorice? He brought me back a licorice milkshake. Uh, oh, now, I was now, now, are we going to big lose? Where's big lose? Where's Big Lou's? Uh, exactly. Now, I'll should, take a liquor shake right now. Yeah. So, so here's should, should we can we can share this with the listeners. When we used to travel, occasionally there may have been a player or two that was a little bit envious of uh, some of the stuff that we were able to uh, eat and digest that they no longer are. Uh, they've got they've got uh, Chad Drummond is uh, works with Simon Bennett at Body by Bennett, and uh, the the owners have a very specific dietary plan that they're supposed to follow and they keep those guys watching like a hawk and the problem oh, they uh, do the, the problem do you remember when we used to have the chocolate bars on the plane <laughs> yeah full-size chocolate bars by the and way the, yeah. and the no, players they'd get all of them and the players would get all bad because we'd be eating all the chocolate bars. so yeah. now all that stuff's gone but occasionally things like uh swedish berries 
and licorice do make their way into the Stoffer section, which would explain why I have to go see Dr. Bob Ridley occasionally to get some uh, teeth, uh, uh, some uh, work done on my teeth. But uh, it's funny stuff, you know what I mean? I mean, it just makes you it's chuckle. Changed. It, it, it's changed. It really has. It's changed a lot. You know, that was just, you know, we pretty much ate whatever we wanted, anytime we wanted when I was playing. But nowadays, these players, the nutritional aspect of it is just – it's on par. It really is. It's on par with their training. They know that what they put in their body is what fuels them, and they're they're really religious about it, which is you know great to see. You know that's why the, in my opinion, the game has gotten better every single year, and the players, uh, to a man, more skilled, uh, more physically fit, just more ready to play, and that's why the product in the ice shows it. Louis, my idol growing up as a kid was Guy Lafleur. He used to smoke. Yeah, yeah. He used to smoke. <laughs> During the game. How many guys, when you, were, when you were playing in the 90s, so you come in a league, you got to, you know, you fought Marty McSorley like 249 times, the guy the greatest endurance of, <laughs> of any heavyweight ever. How, how many guys yeah, used to smoke? Did, yes. Yeah. How many uh, guys used to smoke back there, in the day? There were some guys. There were certainly guys that still used to smoke, no question about it, but you know, I mean, just can you imagine, though, Guy Lafleur in today's day and age doing what the players are doing today, just how effective he would have been because his lungs were incredible. You know, to be able to smoke, I mean, I had heard rumors a pack, two packs a day. I mean, he would get in his gear three hours before the game, wouldn't stretch, just went out there and played. And, you know, that was old school. It really was. It's, it's incredible to me um, that they were able to do that on a regular basis and not get injured, not pull muscles. It was just, you know... It was incredible, but even when I came into the league, you started to see the changeover where gyms were popular, um, off-ice workouts started to get more and more intense and more strategic, more sports-specific, and nowadays it is completely sports-specific. They're training 365 days a year, and it's round the clock, and it's all to get better at the game, whereas we did it more to have a base to be able to last us the season because we would go into the season, and a lot of times we weren't training during the season. It wasn't until my last few years, um, with weights I'm talking about. Now, we would always do cardio. Cardio was always a big thing to try and keep that cardio to a certain level, but as far as doing weights throughout the year, that became you know relatively new later on in my career, and I'll tell you, it was about maintaining. It was about maintaining strength throughout the year because you lose so much strength. I remember going a whole season without doing any weights and then coming back in the summertime, and you were a little embarrassed with the light weights you were putting on the bench press when you come into the gym for the first time. People would be looking over at you and saying, wow, I thought you were stronger than that, but your muscles were just so not used to those movements. You had to relearn it again. Now, it came relatively quickly back, but... I always remember those first few workouts after a long season. It was it just felt like everything was so heavy and every joint felt every movement. Whereas when you do it and maintain it throughout the year, it's seamless. You just jump right back into it in the off season. Yeah, absolutely. We're joined by Louis DeBrusque. Again, the news of the day and we'll tell you right now, um the, the, the well read reread the tweet here uh from cbc uh news alerts just saying federal government poised to approve a seven-day quarantine with extra testing for nhl players traded from american teams to canadian teams before the april 12th trade deadline government sources say all provinces with nhl teams have approved of the measures this is where i mean right like you know louis right now is jake jake's on the COVID protocol list in in boston is that right i think he's on the last time i checked he's on the list yep. like guy, you, the guys are getting tested every day are they not 
every day. Yep, every single day, and sometimes multiple tests a day. Sometimes it's not just one. Uh, afternoon games are tested at night, the evening before the game, so the results can be back before the game. And it's, you know, listen, they're tested around the clock, and I, I do, I, I, I agree with shortening the, the, the quarantine to a week instead of two weeks. It, for me, it seems to me anyway that that's, that's typically the, the period of time in which it'll show itself. You know, so if in seven days, that's why you've seen the Bruins and Buffalo seven days, they were shut down. Montreal shut down for a week because of the COVID positives they've had. It gives them time to continually test players up until a certain point to eliminate anybody else that might have been infected. And you know what, that I'm, I've heard, and I'm not a, by no means am I a doctor or scientist, but that five to seven days, you know, it can, it can certainly not show itself until that point in time. I know that for a fact. So, you know, your first four tests can be negative, and all of a sudden on the fifth one, you have it. So that's why, if anybody's wondering why they always push it for seven days, is because they have to let that run its course and make sure that nobody else is infected on the team. And uh, if you're clear after those five to seven days, then you should be good to go. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how, you know what, I'm going to be intrigued to see what people think about this. Because you'll, yeah. you'll, always, you know, you'll have people, again, you can text us oh. on our Ashley F- uh, Fine Floors text line. This is a hockey show, but we have a, uh, like, we're already getting text people saying this is BS. The average citizen has to have a 14-day quarantine. Why should Yeah, but the s- average citizen isn't getting tests every single day. Yes, every Lee. single day they're getting tested. Every single day they're in which the moving bubble, if you want to call it. So they're, they're under different strict protocols than the regular person. So I'm going to cut that off right there. If you think that just everyday people walking around like myself, going to a grocery store, going here, going wherever, I mean, listen, they're living... They're, they're living in a pretty contained world, and they're tested every single day. So if you're tested every single day, I don't see why you couldn't only take seven days to quarantine myself. Personally, yeah. that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, well, and, and that, there's that sentiment out there as well. Again, you can text us at any time on our, seven, uh, on our Ashley Five Floors text line, 780-496-0063. We've had a lot of people jump in. I, I opened up the show today talking uh, a bit about the fact the Oilers haven't played a game for four days, and their chances of making the playoffs have increased. Edmonton right now, according to Sports Club stats, now up to 98.4%. First of all, Louie, in your opinion, are the Oilers in? Like, are they in the driver's uh, seat here to grab a playoff spot? It would appear so, yes. But if if I'm going to sit here and say just because a statistic says it's so, I'm just not going to agree with that. I'm just not. I mean, there's teams that aren't that far behind them. Yes, they've played more games. I mean, but you're talking, what is it, five, seven points? still with a lot of games to play. You, you, you go on a bad slide and that respective team goes on a run, they catch up really fast. So, yes, they're in a great position. No question about that. I, I think that they should be in the playoffs. They're in, a, they're in a good position to be in the playoffs, but I don't think the mentality should be, yeah, we're in for sure. It's guaranteed because the stat says we're over 90% to be in the playoffs. Just go play. Continue to play the way they've played. Continue to get better every day. Continue to work on it. And, and if you do that, I have no doubt they should be in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I'm, I'm with you. I just want to. Are you concerned that the Oilers might lose a little, a little bit of momentum here? I mean, they had a pretty. They're 18 and seven, Louis, over the last 25 games. Uh, goals for 3.6, goals against 2.6, power play 26.7. Yep. Penalty kill. I wonder if it's the penalty kill that gets addressed a bit here. Maybe getting another guy that can come in here and help out up front a little bit at 78 percent. Only 78 yep. percent. You know, and then the save percentage. The save That's percentage one spot they need to work on for sure. Yeah, and then save percentage is at nine sixteen. So the goalies have performed. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm with you. I, I, it's it's there for Edmonton to go grab. Are you concerned they might lose some momentum here by having the week off? Uh, you're always a little bit concerned. I, I think that. Listen, it's the it's the age old question: Is the rest more beneficial right now than? You know, a little bit of rustiness. And, you know, for me, when I look at the, the amount of minutes that certain players of the team are playing this year, and especially the top guns, they, they're, they're heavily worked. There's no question about that. They get, they get not only heavy work in the game, but they're not easy minutes. I mean, they're continually being contested. They're continually being um, strategized against by the opposition to try and shut them down on a night-to-night basis. Physicality, chirping, just, just that extra workload, having to go through multiple checks, so a little bit of rest for me is never a bad thing, but we'll see. You know, sometimes you get out of that rhythm a little bit. The good thing is, though, they've had practice time, and I, I think that's something that any coach will tell you is a luxury right now in the league, to have practice time, to sit down and work on specifics, as you mentioned, like the power play, the penalty kill, special teams, um, you know, structure, formation, whatever it is. You can go out there and pick apart the things that you feel you need to devote the most amount of time to and work on it, which is a great thing, and then try and implement that into the game. So, I don't think it's a long enough time that it's going to hurt them, to be honest with you, Bob. I think the rest will be certainly welcomed by some of the players, by all players. This is a this is a very vigorous schedule for every player in the National Hockey League, but for especially for the guys that log a lot of minutes, nothing wrong with having a few days off. So I'm going to go on the positive side here and say they can use this to their benefit. Louis DeBrus joining us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Bob Stoffer, Cody Jansen with you today on Oilers Now. Uh, Louis, Calgary down to a 5% chance of making the playoffs, according to Sports Club stats. Vancouver at 1.1. I, I think Vancouver's done. They've played 37 games. I mean, I think it'd be almost impossible for them. I'm not writing off the, I'm not writing off the Flames yet. What about you? I'm not writing off either of those teams yet. I mean, I know they've played more games, but like I said before, we've seen how this has changed. Just look at the last little rapid change where the Leafs looked like they were off and running and they were leaving people in the dust. And now all of a sudden there's three teams tied at 42 points in, in the North Division. So I don't know. I, maybe I'm completely the only one that thinks this. This will be a dogfight right to the end. Do I think the top three teams have certainly separated themselves? Yes. But I also think the Canadians are starting to come on strong. A, a big push and run by the Canucks or Flames, and I think they're right back in the mix personally. I really do. I think they're right there. I don't think you could ever look in the rearview mirror unless they're way back. Um, because I just think with the way that this is set up this year, and you've heard everybody talk about it, you can climb the ladder rapidly. You can descend rapidly too. No question about that, Bob. Listen, you go on a slide and you're going to be, you know, looking at the rear view um, the rear view lights very quickly of a lot of teams but i do still think there's a there's an opportunity to climb that ladder i really do and i think that's the incentive that every team has to have this year is that you're really never out of it until you're actually out of it and it's never been that way before with only seven teams in a division where 
you can track people down, especially when you're going head-to-head. There's teams that you're going to play in a really meaningful series at the end of the year that could be the difference between you being in the playoffs and out of the playoffs. That's must-watch. That's going to be incredible, and I think that's going to happen. I really do. I think this is going to come down to the wire um, to see who really gets in there for the top four, but also seeding-wise. It's going to be very important in that that, uh, fashion as well. So, yeah, listen, I'm I'm not counting those two teams out yet. I'm not. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna put you a little bit on the spot here. We had the situation with Tim Peel a couple days ago. How many times when you played did you think you would get a penalty that maybe, a, frankly, Louis, a better play, a letter, a better player, a guy wearing a letter, uh, a higher end skill guy, maybe wouldn't have got called on? A lot. Yeah, a lot. I mean, that was just part of the part of being what I was, part of being a, a fourth line tough guy enforcer a physical player that always played on the edge and sometimes crossed that line. Yeah. You know what? Listen, there was, and you know what? I understood it to a certain degree, but at the same times it was unwarranted at times as well, but that was just the nature of the business. It really was. Unfortunately, that's just the way it was when you played a physical game. And that was my job to do that, that they were going to have a watchful eye on you whenever you were on the ice. And, you know, and, and talking about Tim Peel, one thing that, you know, for me, um, the comment that he made, I know a lot of times in games, and, and listen, I know I've been hard on the officials. I have. I've, uh, I've ripped on them a few times with games that have just been, quite frankly, just not called well enough. But, you know, for me, I understand that it's a fast game. When I'm down between the benches, things happen really quickly. You miss things. You just do. And that's just life. That's just being human. You're going to miss some things. But um, So I'm not trying to take a side here. I'm saying what he said to me, you know, could have easily been a situation where he had warned some players earlier in the game, listen, stop doing that. I'm going to give you a call. Stop doing that. I'm going to give you a call. Stop it. You're getting close. And then finally he says, you know what? I'm looking for the next one to call against you because I've warned you three times now. I've told you not to do that, and now I need to send a message. A lot of times officials want to set the tone early on with a couple quick calls, but then a lot of it is done vocally. It's verbally. You know, they'll talk to you and say, I'm going to be calling this tonight. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they'll kind of let you infringe on it, but then once you go over the, over that line a couple of times, it's finally like, okay, I'm looking to call one the next time you do that because I've warned you twice now. Now I don't know if that's the case. I'm just saying, I'm just you know playing the other side that I know in my experience as a player, a lot of times calls weren't made, but the the conversation was there. That could have easily been a penalty. I'm not. I don't want to call it that tight tonight. Stop doing that. You know, don't give that guy the extra shot in the scrum. Don't, you know, reach your hand out and grab the jersey. Don't reach your stick parallel to the ice and start hooking in the midsection. I'm telling you, I'm going to start calling that. And then as players, you're always trying to get away with as much as you can in a game. You're always trying to push that line. And uh, listen, I understand where the league's coming from. I understand the negativity around it. I totally do. What I'm saying is in the context, you don't really know how he was saying that. And I'm not trying to say... One is right, one is wrong. I'm just trying to give a situation on the ice where when I heard that, I was like, you know, it's not necessarily like he's out to get the Nashville Predators. It could very well be he's had some conversations already during that game with select players saying, listen, I'm going to nail you if you don't stop doing that. And finally, he's like, listen, I'm going to give him a penalty. I'm going to give you one the next time that happens. And bam, that's when it happens. So, um 
that's just what I thought when I heard that. I, I, I kind of made me think of situations on the ice where referees had talked to me, which they did a lot, Bob. You know that. You're in a scrum a lot. You're always looking for trouble when you come in there. And their eyes are going to be focused on you because they want to make sure that they try to eliminate that, sometimes too much. But, you know, when you play that role, you kind of bring it on yourself. One final one for you. We uh, talked a bit about Marty McSorley at the start. I want to close with Marty. You, you battled him a lot of times. He always got out of his proverbial you-know-what in a lot of those battles. Uh, unbelievable endurance. Was he amongst your toughest matchups in terms of squaring up and uh, sort of doing that end of the job? You know, you look at how many fights Marty McSorley had. Can you really tell me ones where he got destroyed? You know what I'm saying? Like, I look over the course of his career and I say he fought pretty much every single tough guy that came through the ranks in his entire time in the National Hockey League. And I don't really remember him getting destroyed in the fight. He did pretty darn well against most guys. So, yeah, he was one of my toughest competitors. For sure he was. I mean, it was he was big. He was strong. And I was big and strong, too. That's why I think we had pretty good fights, was that we were very similar in our builds. And, you know, the only thing, one thing he told me after this is after we had fought and we had done some work together and he was working with, with Sportsnet for a while and Rogers and, and you know, obviously we've done some charity events together as well. And he said to me that one day, he goes, you know, I have really long arms and guys didn't realize how long my arms were. And I was like, that's why I couldn't reach you in some of those positions. But it was kind of funny that he just, you know, kind of let me know about that. But I knew there was, you know, for him, he was smart. He could take a shot. He had great endurance, and he was mega strong. He was a really strong guy. So you combine all those, and it's a pretty formidable opponent, especially a guy that seemed like as the fight went on, he got better, and that was the one thing. He would try and wear you down and, and really make you work hard throughout the start of the fight, and then he would take it to you in the end of the fight. I was lucky enough that I had pretty good endurance too, so I could hang around there for a little longer than most. And Yeah, he was tough. He was, he was one of my toughest for sure. I, I just uh, some of the battles you guys had with Vancouver as well. You end up Duke and Gino and uh, Shane well, Court. the Smythe division, right? The old, and you know it's it's kind of it makes you think about that now with the division the way it is and yes. playing teams a number of times. I mean, Sandy McCarthy and Calgary. I mean, it was. I mean, that guy was a nightmare. I mean, he just had my number, right? It was just psychologically, it was one of those guys I just couldn't. Like, you know, I, I had to really psych myself <laughs> up. And I remember one time we went into Calgary, and I was like, you know what? Uh, Scott Thornton was sitting beside me in the room, and I said, "You know what? If he starts me tonight against McCarthy, I'm going him right off the dry. I just I don't want to think about this for the rest of the game. I just want to get this out of the way right now, and maybe fresh, I'll do a little better." It didn't work. I didn't do that well in the fight. So, you know, the next time I waited until we got into the game a little while. But you know what? There's good. There's always those guys that have your number. Let's face it. I, I believe McCarthy was one of the toughest guys in the league for years. And no question, Martin McSorley, in my opinion, was one of the best at that job to ever play the game. And I, and I say that confidently because of the amount of minutes that he played, the way he could play forward and defense, and he fought everybody. There isn't one guy going through the ranks that he didn't tussle with from time to time. All right, Louis, 22nd response. Who beat down Dana Merz and worse, Shane Corson or Brian Marchment? Too, but I got to tell you this: when I played against him, I hated him. I didn't like him very much. I actually took a suspension on him. Um, I, I 
took a pretty vicious swing with my stick at him after he butt-ended me one night. But I would probably – and he's a good guy. I've seen him multiple times now yeah. get a trade. It's funny how you meet guys off the ice. But he played the role. He was really good at what he did. He's a big dude too, Dana Merson. But uh, I'm going to give it to Course. I love Mush. Mush – I mean, Mush was – Mush was scary tough. You know, seriously, like when you look at the guys that he fought over the years and he took some shots from, um, that was probably his biggest weakness was the fact that he could take such a good shot. So he, was, he would probably take more than he needed to. But Shane Corson for me was just one of those. He was a pugilist. You know, he was a guy that was, you know, perfect with his punches. He was sharp. He could throw both hands. He was strong. And he had that killer instinct in a fight too. When he knew he had you, he just put the gas, you know, floored it. It was unbelievable how he could just recognize, okay, I have the upper hand here, and I'm going to get going here. And once he got that right hand going fast, I'll, I, I would give it to uh, I would give it to Corson. This is what I'd give it to. Awesome stuff, Louie. Thank you very much for joining us today in Oilers Now. All right, Bob. Take care, man. 12.57 in Edmonton. Louis DeBrusque was our Oilers Now headliner, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. And some guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal's an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. We'll get to our Oilers Now interim report today at about 1.50. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back in Oilers Now for Canadian Power Pack, Kevin Weeks from the NHL Network. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.